Hello, this is Edie. Before we get started, I wanted to make sure you knew first how much we appreciate you, and that in honor of Teacher Appreciation Week, right now at Heinemann.com, you can get 15% off and free shipping on all Heinemann professional books. This offer runs until May 11th. Head on over after the episode. Some restrictions apply. See the website for details. The Heinemann Podcast is a production of Heinemann Publishing. Heinemann is a provider of resources written by real teachers for real classrooms. Heinemann values teachers as decision makers and students as curious learners. We invite you to discover the path to lifelong professional learning at Heinemann.com. Heinemann is dedicated to teachers. I'm Brad from Heinemann. The idea that students should be college and career ready when they leave high school has become a major focus in education, but much of this conversation has been on reading readiness. What about writing readiness? Today on the Heinemann Podcast, we're speaking with author Liz Prather. In her new book, Project-Based Writing, Liz shows us how teachers can bring students into the lesson planning process, inviting agency, independence, and inquiry into the classroom community. Through this community, students will care about what they're writing and learn to manage their time to write. Liz argues that teaching students the real-world lessons that they need to become real-world writers begins by inviting their learning preferences into the classroom. My colleague Michelle began their conversation by asking Liz about the primary goals behind project-based writing and how it came to be. What are the primary goals of project-based writing? When I think of project-based writing, I ask myself really two questions. Does this exist in the real world of writing? Like, Mm -hmm. does the thing that I'm asking my students to do, does this actually what I do as a writer? And if it's not, why are we doing it, right? And the second thing is, I want to develop the student agency. Like I want them to be able to exist outside of me, outside of my classroom. And so those two things, independence and learning, and for the students to learn about their own learning, so much of what we do in education, and I hate to say this, like I'm a veteran teacher, but so much of what we do, it's just done in education. Nowhere else in the real world does this actually apply. And so I wanted to make sure that every skill that they were learning would absolutely come into play, no matter if they went into college, path or a career path. When you think about time management and task management, when you think about the speaking and listening skills inherent in an inquiry group of Mm -hmm. peers, Mm -hmm. when you think about the collaborative power, you know, of working with a team Mm -hmm. to produce a creative or even an analytical product, it doesn't matter if you're an engineer or you work for Pixar films, it doesn't matter where you are, those skills are huge. I say more about this in the book, but I have these four kind of themes, if you will, that course throughout my my classroom. Mm -hmm. Uh, One of them obviously is reading. One of them obviously is writing. But the other two are the community, the big community strand, and then project management. And when I say project management to kids, when I'm kind of selling this idea to them, project management sounds so foreign to anything they've ever heard of in the English classroom, right? It sounds almost cold and Mm -hmm. kind of clinical and businessy, and they don't really trust it maybe. Project management is the way any artist, any creative person, any thinker actually manages the logistics, like the nuts and bolts of how do you take an unformed, nebulous idea and take it through all of the necessary steps 
to be able to communicate it to another person, whether that is a movie audience of millions or that is your parents who are trying to convince to allow you to get your license or whatever it is. You know, it's just one person communicating to the other. But being able to take it through all those steps really actually engenders so many more skills for kids. You make it explicit. I love that. You know, like you said, this nebulous thing, but you make it explicit. You talk about in the next chapter, transparency. The question I had was, can you talk about the ways teachers can build this classroom community, the way you let the kids know right away? Within the first two days, I let them in on the specialness of what we're doing. Mm -hmm. And it feels a little transgressive, even, you know, like we're in the school. I say this in the book, you know, we're in school, but we're not of the school. It's kind of like when you come into this classroom, what we're doing is very different. This is like a laboratory or this is like a think tank or this is like a research facility in some way. And so I really want my students to buy in early with what we're doing. And this is not something I impose on them. This is something that I'm saying to them. This is a brave new world. And I want you to see the benefit of each of these steps. And so that's number one, really selling them on the specialness of this and the utility of Mm -hmm. this, how functional this process is. And then the second thing is being incredibly transparent about what I'm doing. It's like a lot of times I think, and I I did this for years as a teacher, you do all this planning and then you turn around to your class and you do the show, right? Well, why not let the kids in on all this planning? Like you're cutting them out of the very thing that makes learning really powerful, right? Is all that struggle and that cognitive dissonance that you have when Mm -hmm. you don't don't understand how something works and you got to figure out how to work it and you know all of yeah. that stuff that's what teachers are doing when you turn and you do the show then the kids are just the audience the kids then become just the mm-hmm. audience and allowing them in on all of that messy stuff kind of in the background is really critical to creating community I also have them create group norms so I could impose and I do have some non-negotiables in mm-hmm. my classroom because I'm still the arbiter yeah. you know I'm still the, the the authority in the room yes. I mean not really but I <laughs> (laughs) I am there as a, you know, representation, I guess, of our district. But I have kids, I have the groups of kids within the first couple of days, think about what makes a good learning environment. What do you need as a learner, as a writer, as a thinker? What are you going to need from each other? And you have to come up with five group norms. So every class has their own group norms, Mm -hmm. helps them to regulate. But the other benefit is just that they can actually create the norms by which they are going to regulate themselves is Mm -hmm. a really powerful. Mm -hmm. lesson Mm -hmm. in doing it, but it also sends another message in that I am a co-laborer here with you. I I mean, I have a lot more experience in teaching and writing, but we are co-laborers, you know, in this process, in this business. It sends a message to kids, whether you explicitly say that or not, that's what that does. When you allow them to create their own rubrics, for example, Mm -hmm. about how their creative projects will be scored. So how can teachers uh, help students discover topics for their projects? I was curious about that process. A couple of things have to happen before students can understand that anything they can write about is worth writing about. So you have to convince students that their own mind has to be significant enough 
to them. Like they have to believe in the significance of their own experience and the significance of their own mind before they're willing to put all of that down on paper for other people to read it. So I'm from Kentucky and in Kentucky, a lot of kids have this idea that culture happens elsewhere. It happens in LA or it happens in New York or someplace, but it doesn't happen in Kentucky, right? They don't understand how rich their culture is and, and they don't understand or they don't, they don't feel as if their culture is rich and they don't understand that they can take something as simple as snapping beans with their grandparents sitting on the porch and make a beautiful rich mm-hmm. narrative out mm-hmm. of that. But I love that you share too when the kid isn't connecting with something the thing you know you can get down to how you really need to push them to find a topic. Yeah. So I have kids writing about whatever they're interested in you know uh, Korean pop music or yeah, yeah. you know some video game or if they're interested in seltzer water. I have, a, I have a girl right now that's writing a blog on different kinds of sparkling water. <laughs> I mean you know <laughs> what? <laughs> but um, but that's what she wanted to write about. And so whatever, you know, yeah. that's yeah. and that's part of her life. And I would have never, ever in a million years put that on a topic list. Right. I would have never put right, sparkling right. water. It would have never <laughs> occurred to me. But for some reason, she wants to write about this. And so that's why we limit kids, because we create these topic lists. Mm-hmm. So mm-hmm. it is the limits of our mind that will be the boundary for theirs. Well, we talk about time management yes. and how project-based writing helps students manage their time. Can you speak a little bit to that as well? I have project cycles, and I have a couple of non-negotiable dates in the project cycle. So we do two, two days of pitches, and then... They have to have their community scores in by a certain date. But in between those two dates, they manage their time. Like they they have to figure out how to take a large topic and break it into small manageable chunks. And they fail. They fail at this over and over again. But the way project-based writing is built is they can fail at that. And they're still not going to be failures at the thing that we're trying, the skill that we're trying to, because it's it's a practice field. And so the very first time that I introduced this to a class, the number one question is, I don't know how long it takes me to do these things. Because who's been directing the work? The mm-hmm. teacher has been directing the work. You have two days to write a rough draft. You have three days to right. do, re- or one one day to do research and we're going to do revisions. And so they have no idea how long it takes them. So you'll have the kid who thinks he can write a blog post on baseball and he thinks that it's going to take him a week to write this blog post. And he gets done, he does the research and he is able to interview the people that he needs to interview and he's able to draft it and frame it and he's done in three days. Okay, that tells him something about the way he works, but it just tells him about the the way he works with blog writing. So if he decided the next project cycle to do like the first couple of chapters of a novel, or he decided to do an essay, an analytical essay. So they learn all kinds of things about different projects will create different time issues. And I have to be able to be knowledgeable and honest mm-hmm. about my own time mm-hmm. habits. You know, time management is such a personal thing. Mm -hmm. And the time management that kids have right now, every kid that walks in my room, they do it the night before it's due. They learn nothing. And they say to you, oh, I work better when I have the pressure of the clock. No, that's not true, actually. You don't work better, but you think you work better because you're up against the clock at that point. And so you have to do this. And that's the only skill that you've developed is panic and pressure. That's the only skill. 
And so what this does is it releases the pressure and you have to create actual mini goals every day. So how they work is they create like a timeline or a schedule or a calendar for themselves Mm -hmm. and they put in daily goals, Mm -hmm. but they also have to track themselves. Mm -hmm. So for example, I write a lot about this in the book. And you have charts, I think, in the book And I have charts. Yes, love that. Yeah, I have charts in the book and you can see how kids do Mm -hmm. this. Mm -hmm. So it's a a great analytical and reflective tool for kids. It creates such self-awareness about Mm -hmm. who they are as humans, really. So they'll have like their goal for Monday is to do research. Then they have to say at the end of the day what they actually did. And it is so illuminating when you go back and read that. So I'm thinking of a couple of kids who were going to do research. What happened was the internet was down. So they couldn't do internet. Mm -hmm. They couldn't do research online. So they had to then fall back and think, what could I do that would be productive in this space? They said, I wasted about 30 minutes organizing my book bag. And they had to put that on. They had to put that on, even though that was wasted time, they had to put it because learning about how you waste time Mm -hmm. is learning how you sabotage yourself. And so that's really critical. Like, Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. you know, I don't know that I knew that at 17 or was even aware that that was a thing, you know, (laughs) that I was, that what I was doing was really sabotaging and and creating a a dysfunctional use of time instead of productive one. You know, I wanted to ask you a little bit about if you could touch on how project-based writing helps teachers address common core and other standards. Sure. I think it hits every single standard. And I have a nice at the in the in one of the appendix yep. in the book, it has a nice little fold-out chart where you can see where every single deliverable, I have about 14 to 16 deliverables depending on how you set up project-based writing in your classroom. Mm-hmm. I have full-fledged project-based writing in the classroom. So I have all 16 deliverables and you can see on those different standards. So many of them are duplicated and so many of them are hit multiple times Mm -hmm, in the mm -hmm. project cycle. And it's not an isolated skill that you're teaching. It's not an isolated content that you're teaching. Mm -hmm. It's just this large, very rich task-based thing that we do, which hits all these things and in multiple ways. So in the inquiry week, for example, students have to bring their projects to the table and they have to present it to their peers in a process we call, well, it's annotation and say back. And we call the whole week inquiry week. So they bring it in and it's kind of like, here's my prototype of this product and how does it work and how does it, how does it not work? Mm -hmm. And so they have to come up with inquiry questions. The kids come up with inquiry questions that direct the conversation. If they have written a blog post and they want feedback, for example, on how do the images support the text? how is my voice? Is my voice credible? And did you learn anything? If those are the three things that they want feedback on, then the group then gives them feedback just on those things. And what happens then, they can say, this is what I wanted my blog to do. This is the information I got from my peers. This is where my blog is not working. Mm-hmm. You know, you can, yeah. And so it allows them to take all this feedback. Some of the feedback's not going to be useful to them. Mm-hmm. Some of that feedback will be beyond the scope of what they originally wanted to do. I have this one kid in my class who always, doesn't matter what you write, he'll say, you know, this would make a great movie, you know? And we're all like, please. But so, but, but the student who's presenting this thing is the final arbiter of the thing. Mm-hmm. And so he kind of knows or she knows his vision for that product. Toni Morrison has this great line where she says, failure for writers is just information. And if you can teach that to a kid to kind of dispassionately disconnect yourself, you're 
words, your thought, your life, you know, whatever that is on the page, to disconnect self from that and look at it like a product just for a moment, long enough to hear how I can make this a better product Mm -hmm. and listening to what they're saying, like, this isn't working yet. This is really working well. This is not working yet. And say, this is not the end of the road for the project. I am hearing the data that you're giving me and I'm using it as information to make this product better. That's the key. And I know that sounds so totally unsexy, right? It's so like not what we think of when we think of writing because we have this romantic notion about writing and, and, you know, all of this, but really Mm -hmm. it's a project. Absolutely. It's a project. Who are the kids that project-based writing most resonates with? What kids get? Yeah. Yeah. So that's a great question. The kids I've found are at two ends of the spectrum that really get it. So the kids that are checked out with school, they have been checked out since fifth grade. Like Mm -hmm. they get it. They know Mm -hmm. what we're trying to do, Mm -hmm. you know, and they're just like no longer, they may be really bright. They may be performing poorly, but they're just not, they're not into the game. Like they're, they're Mm -hmm. done. Right. And they're doing just enough to get by and keep their parents off their backs. And then the other kids that are really receptive to project-based writing are your super gifted kids. And they might not even be gifted in writing. They have been limited by every rubric Mm -hmm. that they've ever met. And they see this as an opportunity that is limitless to them. So their only boundaries are the boundaries of their own mind. Right. And they can take their projects wherever they want to take. So those two populations are incredibly receptive to this. The middle population, which is the kind of kid who not only understands how school works, but is really good at how school works, they are not receptive to project-based writing. But it is to their advantage to actually be challenged mm-hmm. by the demands of what this system does. And so what the system does is it makes them aware, makes them actually control their own learning. And so there it's no longer this thing like the teacher will give the information, the student will repeat it. It's this thing like I have to create my own information. I have to create this thing and I have to learn about myself as I'm doing it and I have to reflect on it and I have to analyze how I've used time and I have to be able to talk about ideas and I have to be able to talk about other people's ideas. I have to listen. All of those things. Mm-hmm. So so it's really uncomfortable for those kids, but it doesn't take long. Like mm-hmm. it takes maybe two project cycles before before a kid like that is really like on board with it. And it doesn't work for every single kid. I mean, I don't know of any any framework that does. For the majority, I found, for the majority of the kids, they really understand and they do eventually get why this is so much more powerful than just normal business. My thanks to Liz Prather for her time today. If you'd like to learn more about her new book, Project-Based Writing, check out Heineman.com where you can read a sample chapter and blogs. We'd love for you to subscribe to the Heinemann Podcast on iTunes and Google Play, where you can also leave a comment or review. We're also now streaming on Stitcher and TuneIn Radio apps. You can also follow Heinemann on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram, as well as our various Facebook groups. Plus, you can get a daily teacher tip right on your phone directly from Heinemann authors by downloading the Heinemann Teacher Tip app. All this and more on Heinemann.com. Thanks for listening.